This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. My name is Reverend Martin McGeown, the pastor of Providence Protestant Reformed Church in Hudsonville, Michigan. The following lectures were given when I was the missionary in Limerick, Ireland. They are called Back to Basics. They discuss basic doctrines of the Christian faith. I hope that you are edified by them. I want to begin by reading a few verses from the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes in chapter 1. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth for ever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor, man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Everyone searches for some meaning in life. Why are we here? What are we supposed to do? And your meaning in life, or your lack of meaning in life, will depend on your world view. That is, how you see the world. Everyone has a world view. And really, there are two main worldviews. First of all, there's the secular worldview. The secular worldview is the worldview of unbelief. Most people in Ireland and most people in the world have a secular worldview. It's taught in the schools, it's promoted by the media, and it has permeated our culture. And the secular worldview is simply the worldview of atheism. There is no God. There is no devil. There are no angels. There is no heaven. There is no hell. There's nothing beyond what we know in space and matter. That's the secular worldview. The second main worldview is the Christian worldview or the theistic worldview, that is the worldview of faith, the worldview which begins and ends with God. And that worldview is the minority. Many people openly reject it. Many people openly mock it. It is denied in the schools. It is denied by the media. 
It has been sidelined by our culture. But that's the worldview that I present to you this evening. The secular worldview is the worldview without meaning. It is the worldview of meaninglessness. And don't take my word for it. Listen to two very famous secularists or atheists. The first is Richard Dawkins, the well-known zoologist, the professor from Oxford, England. Here's what he says in his book, River Out of Eden, A Darwinian View of Life. Quote, In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces, and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. That's Richard Dawkins. The second is from Bertrand Russell, who died in 1970, an English atheist. Here's his quote. Quote, that man is the product of causes which had no prevision of the end they were achieving, that his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs, are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms, that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave, that all the labours of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system, and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. And then this, only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. That's Bertrand Russell. And so you can see that both Dawkins and Russell teach a secular worldview which is built on meaninglessness. The universe exists and we exist because of blind, random forces. There was no foresight whatsoever, no pre-planning whatsoever behind the universe, and the universe is as it is today, and we are as we are today, merely by chance. Death, which itself is meaningless, brings man's proud achievements to a hopeless end. And there's no one in the universe and no one beyond the universe who cares for man. In Dawkins' words, there is only pitilessness, or pitiless rather, indifference. Pitiless indifference. And the best a man can do, therefore, 
is to attempt to find some temporary but ultimately meaningless happiness for himself before he dies and perishes. And then he's gone, and he will never return. He knows nothing beyond the grave. And that's why secularism, the secular worldview, ends in despair. Unyielding despair, said Bertrand Russell, is the firm foundation for the soul. Unyielding despair. And where does despair lead? Many people, well, you try to drown your despair in pleasure. Or you kill yourself because you realize life is not worth living. We read this evening from an Old Testament book written some 3,000 years ago, a book called Ecclesiastes, written by a man called Solomon, who was a king, and who was known in the Bible for being the wisest man upon the earth. And the book of Ecclesiastes is really the fruit of Solomon's mature reflection on life. He begins this way, Vanity of vanities saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? In other words, meaningless, empty, vain is life. Why did Solomon evaluate life that way? Because he evaluated it under the sun. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, look out for that expression, under the sun. In other words, he looked at life without considering God. Only under the sun, Solomon said, everything is vain and meaningless. And so Solomon tried out this life under the sun. He tried to live this life to the full. He was rich. He tried wealth. Wealth did not satisfy him. He had power as a king. Power left him feeling empty. He had access to all of the amusements of the day. Music and dance and women and wine. It all left him with no satisfaction. His conclusion was the same. Under the sun, everything is vanity. And men have not really learned much since Solomon's day. They come to the same conclusions. Life for most people in modern Western culture consists in pleasure-seeking, drunkenness, sports, music, drugs, sex, entertainment, which leaves a man ultimately empty. And at the end of his life, as he lies upon his deathbed, he has to make the same confession as Solomon, all is vanity, and I don't know what's going to happen when I leave this world and enter the unknown of death. And Solomon only found meaning in life, only found happiness and satisfaction when he remembered God. The God, of course, that he knew from his youth, the God who was taught to him when he was a child by his father David. When he looked beyond the sun, remember all his 
meaningless under the sun, when he looked beyond the sun to the God who made the sun and who made the heavens and the earth, then he understood who he was, why he was here, and what he was called to do, what the meaning of his life was. And here's his conclusion at the end, the last chapter, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, he says, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. And again, in verses 13 and 14, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And so we see the problem that Dawkins and Russell have. They denied, and Dawkins still denies, the Creator. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Dawkins goes about the world on talk shows, writing books, denying the Creator. And thus, he must confess that all there is is pitiless indifference. Russell came to the same conclusion that Dawkins came to unyielding despair. Because Dawkins and Russell and all atheists like them do not remember their creator, but rather they deny their creator and they hate their creator. And so Dawkins can spend his life writing bestsellers. He can make lots of money doing this. He can be a popular guest on many talk shows. But when he comes to die, this will be his epitaph. Vanity of vanities. All is meaningless. And that's by his own confession. That's by his own worldview. Dawkins' life, according to his own worldview, is meaningless. Russell's life, according to his own worldview, was built on unyielding despair. What about the Christian worldview? The Christian worldview, that is the worldview to which Solomon came at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, the Christian worldview begins and ends with God. Now the Bible does not begin with an argument about God. The Bible begins with a declaration of God. And I have no interest this evening in arguing about the existence of God nor do I expect to be able to prove to anyone this evening the existence of God. I am here to declare to you that God is, that God is your maker and that you are accountable to him. In fact, it would be impossible for me or anyone else to prove to an atheist that God exists. Because an atheist like Dawkins has already discounted all possible evidence. And an atheist like Dawkins is blind. Blind. Spiritually 
blind. I can no more prove God to an atheist than I can prove the sun to a blind man. So what difference does it make if we believe in our creator, if we remember our creator? Well, first of all, we know where we came from. We don't think that we are here by some meaningless process that took many, many, many years. We know where we came from. We know that we are creatures. We know, therefore, that we are utterly dependent on God for our existence. We may not be aware of it, but the Bible tells us that in God we live and we move and we have our being. That's why we can say life has a purpose. Because God has a purpose with our life. God brought this universe into being and God brought every single human being into being for a purpose. He determined the days of each person. He determined the day even of their death. He determined their eternity. All with a purpose. And what is the purpose of God in all things? If you were to boil down God's purpose into one short phrase for all things, it would be this, God's glory. God's glory. God has done all things and God continues to do all things for his own glory so that he might show forth how great and glorious he is. God desires that his creatures might know what a glorious God he is. And that's why he made all things. Why did God create the universe? Answer, to glorify himself. Why did God create human beings? Answer, to glorify himself. Why did God create you and me? Answer, to glorify himself. And so everything that God does and everything that exists has one purpose, and that is to glorify him. And so the question I put to you tonight is this. Are you actively glorifying God? Is God at all in your thoughts? Are you seeking in all that you do in your work and in your studies and in your family life and in everything that you do, are you seeking always and only and first to glorify Him? And if you're not, if you have not been glorifying God, and if you are not glorifying God, the Bible says you have missed the purpose of your life. If you ignore God, if you live as if God does not exist, if God is not in your thoughts, God will write upon your life when you come to die at the end of your life. And when you stand before him in judgment, God will write upon you, Weighed and found wanting. This person did not glorify me. This person robbed me of my glory. This person had a pointless life. Now, how does God glorify himself? He glorified himself by devising a plan in which he would show forth the full spectrum of his perfect qualities, his justice and his righteousness, his wisdom and his power, his love 
his mercy and his grace. And briefly, he did this. First of all, he determined to make a creature that would know him. Not birds and flowers and trees, but human beings. Human beings are the only creatures on this earth who have the capacity to know God. Then he determined that man whom he had created would fall into sin. Why? So that man would know the depth of misery, the misery of sin and depravity and death. And then he determined to save a people for himself from that sin, so that he would display to them his grace and mercy and love in salvation. And he does that through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one through whom God delivers a people out of sin and death and misery. He sent his only begotten Son into the world. He took upon himself a real human nature, a body and a soul. And that Jesus Christ suffered on the cross the penalty of death. Not for his own sins, because he had no sins of his own, but for the sins of his people. And then, by the power of God, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead because death could not hold him. And by that resurrection, he defeated death and he gives life to all those who believe in him. So the command goes out to all men today. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he is the Son of God. Believe in his death upon the cross. Believe in his resurrection. Trust in him for salvation. And then you will not only have salvation and blessedness, you will have a meaning and a purpose for your life. And that will be the same purpose that Paul had, which is this, Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That was Paul's purpose in life. To live was Christ and to die was gain. So that's our calling. That's our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God. And the best way in which we can glorify God is by turning from sin, believing in Jesus Christ, and then living in thankfulness to God for the salvation which he has given to us. By spending the rest of the days that God has given to us, learning about Jesus Christ, learning how to serve him. And you'll do that in a church where God's word is preached. Then, and only then, will you fulfill the purpose for which you were created to glorify God. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.